Today I want to start looking at Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 through 20, the fifth chapter of Matthew. I want to begin a series that actually uh, is one that I've, I've done uh, about four years ago. Uh, but uh, I want to change a few things about it. For one, we're starting in a little different order, uh, very intentionally. But uh, this original series was called Operation Red, and it's looking at the red letters in, your, in some of your Bibles, which indicate Jesus' own words and teachings, what he was uh, speaking himself. And this particular sermon, sermon in Operation Red was called Righteous Sinners. And I thought about this, and I couldn't think of a different title, but honestly, looking back at these, uh, these sermons and, and pouring over them uh, again, I, I believe I would retitle this. So if I come up with a new title, I'll tell you. But, but the premise, I'm going to give you a little bit of just a premise of what this, is, this message is about. But I've mentioned in the past about we, we really have a danger in our society, in evangelical society, if, if I, I will, but that we can almost... Uh, we can almost take grace too far to the point that we we don't we forget the law. We forget that God is a righteous God, He's also a holy God, and He is calling us to, to become to become holy, but not under our own righteousness, right? What does the word say? Our righteousness is like filthy rags. Um, yesterday, uh, to fix an issue that we had with some doors, I was working with some uh, spray foam. You ever use the expanding foam? And I don't know, out of the 10 or 12 times I worked that stuff, each and every time I said, you know, you probably should wear gloves next time. And we actually had latex gloves yesterday, but um, I didn't go looking for them, and I used it, and I ended up with this stuff just covering over my hands and, and terrible. And we were supposed to go to dinner, and I'm thinking how nasty it looks, and I worked and worked, and finally I ended up having to take gasoline and acetone, and all this stuff you probably shouldn't be putting on your skin, and finally come off. But I was using uh, these old rags, to get that off, and when I got done, I had decided to walk in the house with one of them that I had had gasoline on, but I thought it was rinsed out, and it only took a minute of walking that house, and it was like, oh, the smell, because I was now in an enclosed space, it was great. I was thinking, you know, you could you could not live if you had dirty rags like that laying around, but we, we that's the picture we have is these filthy rags, these tattered clothing or dirty clothing, that, that that's what a righteousness is. So we're going to look at today in Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 through 20, starting out this series. But uh, let me just transition a little bit over to something else. Let's talk about some laws, some crazy laws. You know, in Arkansas, there's a law that no person shall drive a motor vehicle onto the premises of a drive-in restaurant and leave the premises without parking uh, such motor vehicle unless there is no occupied parking space available on the premises. If you, you can't just, in other words, you can't just drive through McDonald's to drive through McDonald's to cut through traffic. That You have to pull in and park. That's actually an Arkansas law. Here's another Arkansas law still on the books. Sounding of horns at sandwich shops. No person shall sound, sound the horn on a vehicle at any place where cold drinks or sandwiches are served after 9 p.m. So, you know. Subway, I don't think, is open. Are they open that late? You know, in that case, you could not, you can't, can't honk your horn at Subway. In Oklahoma, it's illegal to have a sleeping donkey in your bathtub after 7 p.m. Some of these laws need to be. When at one time, this is like policies at work. At what time did somebody have a sleeping donkey in their bathtub after 7 p.m. that caused a problem? Or before? In China, according to a law in China, you must be intelligent to go to college. I'm guessing that that person that wrote the law didn't go to college. Um, 
Maryland and Baltimore, it's illegal to take a lion to the movies. Somebody was watching the MGM opening thing, you know, and thought, hey, I'm going to bring a real lion. Nebraska, it's, it is, it's illegal for a tavern owner to serve alcohol or beer unless there's a nice kettle of soup also brewing. So if you're going to serve beer in Nebraska, you also have to kettle, kettle of soup brewing. Nevada, in Reno, it's unlawful for any person to carry on conduct or maintain any marathon dancing or marathon walking. This, this is, a, I like this one. In New York, it's against the law to throw a baseball at someone's head for fun. <laughs> so I'm taking it that you could do it in malice, but you cannot do it for fun. Here's a good one. I'd be in trouble with this because it doesn't specify who you can't do this to. But a fine of $25 can be given for flirting. I'm thinking, man, I can, as much as I flirt with my wife, it'd be a, I'd be broke. This old law specifically prohibits men from turning around on any city street, and this is New York, and looking at a woman in that way, quotation marks. <laughs> Listen to this, a second conviction... Now, this tells you the time in which this law was enacted. The second conviction for the crime of this magnitude calls for uh, the violating male to be forced to wear a pair of horse blinders wherever and whenever he may go outside for a stroll. A man cannot be seen in public while wearing a jacket and pants that do not match. Uh, in Green, New York, during a concert, it's illegal to eat peanuts and walk backwards on the sidewalk. In Ocean City, it's illegal for men to go topless in the center of town. <laughs> also in New York City, citizens may not greet each other by putting one's thumb to the nose and wiggling the fingers. You cannot do that in public. Ohio, in Oxford, it's unlawful for a woman to appear in public while unshaven. That includes legs and face. It specifies. Women, you must shave your face before you go to public. in public. Um, in Youngstown, you may not run out of gas. Uh, this is another one in Ohio. A rooster must step back 300 feet from any residence if he wishes to crow. Number five uh, on this uh, list of Ohio. You may not sell toothpaste and a toothbrush to the same customer on a Sunday. And then the next one, it's illegal for a woman to drive a car up Main Street unless her husband is walking in front of the car waving a red flag. <laughs> true. That's true law. And this is the explanation again. This is one straight out of Waynesboro, Virginia. It seems that some of the men in town got tired of the female inability to operate a motor vehicle. And this is what they said, something that's generally known fact. And decided that if they could prohibit women from driving, if they couldn't prevent women from driving a car, at least they, they, they could do is warn everyone that they were coming, <laughs> presumably to give them a chance to get out of the way lest they be killed or maimed. That's, that's their explanation. There's so many laws that are easy to break. There's so many laws. I mentioned before about me driving through a school zone on the phone. I knew you couldn't text, but I didn't know since 2006. That's how long it's been. I didn't know you couldn't be have a phone up to your ear, and I got pulled over, and he gave me mercy. But I said, I know ignorance is not an excuse. I just, I really didn't know that. And I said, thank you, because all these other parents are, my truck is very identifiable in town. I was like, that pastor, that crazy pastor at church doesn't obey the law. 
The biggest cop-out for spiritual failure and the most common excuse for deliberate sinfulness are these words. I'm not under the law, but under grace. And with those seven words, we seek to absolve ourselves of any spiritual responsibility we might have had for our behavior. And so when, when we're confronted about our actions, we can get huffy and tell people, mind their own business. And actually, it's more like, don't judge me. You know what the Bible says about judging. And you know, um, Isaac, that, it's just amazing that we had that conversation in the car on the way over here about how the body of Christ needs more people to start holding each other accountable and be willing to say, hey, brother, I see you messing up. Or, hey, yeah, this or that. You're talking about that other, other guy you're telling me where it, it was hard because you watch him, you know, just acting acting a fool right and and especially when you say that you're a believer and so but the the thing is the trend is even in church now is if if we get so offended if someone calls us out on something that that clearly from scripture is against what god wants to do and we throw the grace card so is, is that reality does grace give us an eternal get out of jail free card does grace really trump the law it is is living a christian life like monopoly where uh, i drew a, i drew a get out of jail free card and i'll play that whenever i want and somehow we've gotten to the notion that jesus stamped the old testament with big red letters that say null and void and it's not the truth or they've drawn the the faulty conclusion that the old testament no longer matters or that it really doesn't apply to us and 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 i'll tell you this is why i believe even though it, well, that's a little bit radical and out there, I think sometimes by the way in evangelical churches we may live out grace, why we have some people who will come, and I've seen this happen time and time again, who will go to Judaism, will turn to Judaism because they have a disdain for how people walk all over grace. And so the natural reaction is, I'm going to go away from that, which pushes me more towards legalism or the law. Some will look at the Old Testament as just a collection of historical books, except for maybe the Ten Commandments, and most people are now working on an abbreviated version of them. But as New Testament believers in Christ, we do live in a time of grace. And that's wonderful that we have grace. It's by the grace of God that we're born again and empowered for service. It's by the grace of God that I stand here, that God doesn't continue to hold me, um, you know, hold me or see me at the standard of what I was when I ran from him. But if we're under grace, does that mean that, we're, uh, uh, that we can become lawless? And we know, if we look at what Paul says, we know that we don't sin, that grace may abound. But do we live under the law? What does Jesus mean when he says that he did not come to destroy the law, but to fulfill it? What does he mean by that? Well, first thing we need to understand is, is what Jesus means when he talks about the law and the prophets. When, when Jesus uses this phrase, it has more than one meaning. It refers to the Ten Commandments, and it also refers to the commandments given to the first five books of the Bible, which is also referred to as a Torah. The first five books are referred as a Torah. And when Jesus says the Law of the Prophets, he's speaking of the whole Old Testament. But, but there's also a fourth meaning that referred to the oral and scribal law. And, and see, this is where, if you're like me and you like to watch, maybe, not many people do, you like to watch Christian apologetics on YouTube. So that'd be like Robbie, Zach, Robbie Zacharias and others, Christian apologetics. It's the ones who are stepping into the universities and to other venues of atheism and, and answering the tough questions from Scripture, uh, having these uh, debates or discussions. And 
And you're going to have more and more of the generations because we're seeing it where they feel like they're equipped and they are studying and they're going to challenge you on some of the Old Testament saying, well, if you're such a Christian, why do you still wear clothes that have the wrong fabric in them? Because the Old Testament says don't wear this. Has anybody heard that? Has anybody? No? If, if you watch any atheist debates or you watch any of that, they're going to throw that in there somewhere. They're going to pick out obscure, like not eating, not eating pork. Right? I've had Christian friends, Christian friends, who will gravitate towards Judaism and they'll mix that and we'll take issue with us eating pork and we won't eat pork. I know some of you are not hit because we probably have mutual friends that their family uh, decided that that was what they were going to do. But there's different categorizations of law and even though it's been scholars who have made those divisions, it truthfully, even if it wasn't called um, called the uh, scribal law or oral law or uh, we're going to look at a few other terminologies here. But the truth was is that there was a difference in how even those in the Old Testament viewed different laws delivered by God. The oral or scribal law also is called the Mishnah and basically the Mishnah is a collection of writings about the law. 800 pages in the English translation, basically, of, of writings about the law. For many rabbis, it wasn't enough to say, remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. They needed to create rules about how to obey the rules. And, and that's where the legalism came in. It, be, it would get out of hand in, in, in biblical times. And so they're like, well, this is what God says. And just to make sure we never, get, uh, we never trample on what God told us not to do, we're going to make laws about the laws to keep us a long ways away from violating God's laws. And it would get so cumbersome because you'd have to know not only God's laws, but you have to know all these other laws, these other surrounding laws, and not mess them up. In the context of our passage today, Jesus is probably referring to the whole Old Testament in general. And he, he says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets, I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. In verses 17 through 18. And Jesus is, is, is coming into a culture where, where God's good law to keep us healthy, to keep us on the right path, and some of them delivered to certain people uh, for a time to, to, to get things established. Um, they were taken, so out of context, Jesus had to come say, I'm not coming to get rid of all that, but you've added so much to it, I'm coming to show you how to walk the walk, how to live. But I'm also going to make sure that you know that I'm bringing grace. Jesus uses two contrasting words in his passage, abolish and fulfill. First he says his teaching and his presence on earth does not mean, does not mean that the law, the Ten Commandments, or the commandments of the prophets, have gone away. Instead, he came to be the only human who could actually fulfill the law and the prophets. He's going to say, I'm going to show you what it looks like to live the law, even though you're not capable of doing it 100% of the time, and that's where the grace come in, but I at least need to show you because the law is not going away. Notice also that he does not say that he has come to oppose the law either. So Jesus is not telling us that we can, because of grace, become lawless. He's also not saying that because 
we can't fulfill all of the law all the time that we're just that we're just in bad grace either. But in actuality, Jesus was following the law the way God had intended it from the heart. I've spent much time over the last three years or more talking about it's, it's more important about the motivation of the heart than it is actually fulfilling what God's called you to do. In other words, I can be a pastor of a church and through wrong motivations fulfill what God has called me to do, but the way, the way in which I fulfill it causes more damage than it does good. Maybe just to me, maybe to my family, but generally it does to, to more than just me, to the church. And so I can be in it for the numbers just to fill the seats so that I look good to everyone. I can be in it to fill the seats because I want to see lives changed and I want to see people growing in the Lord. And that is the tight rope that pastors walk all the time to try to keep ourselves focused in the right direction with the right motivation because as soon as it starts to get out of whack, one thing is pastoring loses luster and it becomes task-oriented. And then, and then you get disheartened and then you want to quit. And, and, and two, people tend to, well, people can be blinded. Colts are a good, a good uh, example of that. But, but people who are really seeking God all become disoriented. They become disillusioned and they become discouraged when that happens too. Jesus is telling us that the Old Testament, the Law and the Prophets, is necessary even for those who have placed their faith in Christ. Even in the New Testament church, even now, it's important because, listen, here's where the rubber meets the road. You can mess up and sin. Your, your marriage can fall apart or your, your family can fall apart. Your job can fall apart because of, uh, of sin in your life. And God will give you grace. But what the, the law is for is to say, but if you will try, if you will let me help you to fulfill my commandments, to, to not to fulfill my commandments, to live my commandments. Those are all set up to help you succeed in those relationships and in those jobs and those things. Maybe not in the world's eyes, but in, in God's eyes. And, and that's where healing for the family, for the workplace, for our community, for this country, for this world is, is at. Not one of the tiniest commandments will be removed from the law, it says, even after his death, burial, and resurrection. How can that be? Does that mean I have to bring a bull or a goat to church to be sacrificed? Because, you know, if it's in the Scripture, again, then why am I not doing that? Well, we say, no, that's silly. We know that Jesus paid that sacrifice. Yes, but we have to look, if it's still in Scripture, what has happened to those commandments? What's happened to those laws? So before we parade our finest cow in here or go borrow one or buy one to bring it, let me explain a couple things. The law can be broken down into three types. There's a ceremonial law, and that's where these laws pertaining to how Israel was to worship God through sacrifice and ritual. There are ceremonial laws. And it was important of the time because there, there wasn't uh, as much of a godless world as we have uh, now, I mean, uh, quantity-wise, most of the time, it wasn't a problem of godlessness. It was the wrong god. It was worshiping idols, worshiping false gods. And so there is important that God gave them, uh, this is how you're to worship me, because you don't want to worship like the pagans do. You don't want to bring that kind of unholy worship and sacrifice to me. But we are, because of Christ's sacrifice, no longer bound to animal sacrifices. Praise Jesus for that. Especially those of you who who love all animals and don't want to see them hurt. 
the civil law. You know, I thought about Lily found a little baby bird. I, apparently some birds built a nest in the higher up part of the uh, fresh air vents for two of our air conditioning systems or heat systems in the building. And on the inside where they've not fully connected everything, uh, I don't know if the mama bird finally started pushing them out, but there's more than one, I think two. She found one and it was one of the few days recently she was going with me as I was doing, I was doing mostly errands that day. And uh, she wanted to take that baby bird with her. And so she had it wrapped up and that thing started getting hungry and started getting loud. And I was thinking, this is going to be sad because that thing's not going to survive. Um, I don't have time to stop and get mealyworms or whatever we need. And uh, I drop her for the water and all this. And so we had a little pop cap, you know, and she was trying to get that bird to drink. And uh, Jen, I think, dumped it off somewhere later. So she was the mean one. But anyway, <laughs> uh, but, you know, it, it, it was, it, it, it didn't matter whether you're poor or wealthy under this ceremonial law, you came up with some sacrifice. If you could afford a little bird or you found one on the ground, that was what you had to, to bring. The moral law, this is the second set of laws, moral law. These were laws like the Ten Commandments, and they were uh, absolute strict obedience, no exception. Let me back up, actually, I, I skipped civil law. So we had ceremonial law, we talked about civil law. These were the laws pertaining to normally, normal daily living in Israel, like making loans or borrowing something from a neighbor or handling human waste. And these laws were specific to the time they were written and have little to do with us today except in principle and conduct. So when you look at borrowing, we may not borrow the same way or have the same uh, you know, uh, things in our culture, but these uh, civil laws were for to set an example in the heart in which we dealt with each other. But that moral law, back to the moral law, these were like the Ten Commandments. The moral law is still in effect for us today. It's not changed. It's not a matter of that the, there's change. Thou shalt not kill. We know we're not supposed to kill, but let's get into some of the others, like honoring our father and mother. And I'm going to just tell you, the New Testament church many times is crippled as far as the whole body being functioning as it should. When churches aren't doing enough to hold parents accountable to, to raise their children to be godly children. <laughs> we made comments I don't know if I should say this or not. I made comments to my boys that said, if you just said to me what, if I just said, if I said what you just said to me in the same manner you said it to my daddy, your papa, when I was little, there might be a good chance I'd be laying out on the floor. <laughs> not that dad, I mean, I just said, you know, he took it seriously and, and you don't back talk. We call it back talking, you know. I, I say something as a dad and you come up with excuses or things why you can't do it or you talk back. It's sin. And it will cripple your, your relationship with God. When, when a parent speaks, whether you agree with or not agree with, you give the respect that they have spoken and you receive that. And then you just, you know, it doesn't mean you can't have an opinion. But when they are delving down something, they're saying, I want you to hear this or you need to do this. You're, the scripture says rebellion is the closest you'll ever be to being Satan. That's the closest you'll ever be to acting like Satan. We're not talking about a demon. We're not talking about just bad, away from God, non-believer. We're talking about satanic. The closest you can ever be to being satanic is to rebel. And, and that's where we've taken that so lightly in families today. We've let the culture try to train us on how to raise kids, not kids. We've got parents trying to be friends with their kids and just make them happy. And when the kids say those things, they're begging for discipline. That's why they're testing the waters. And the parent needs to draw down and say, hey, you live in this house. You do not talk back to me. You watch your tongue. And I grew up with that. 
and I'm thankful for it. I've joked about this. If, if Papa, Dad said not another word, and you breathed, that could be misinterpreted as another word. So you just held your breath until the moment of tenseness was over, you know, because you were afraid I might peep and, <laughs> and sound like I'm talking back. And while Jesus is not there to, to you know, God is not there to, to hold the iron hammer over your head and hit you, but, but listen, if you have the same, if you have that issue with your parents in how you speak to them and respond to them, I guarantee you there'll be a roadblock between you and your Heavenly Father because you will approach God that way. You'll take lightly his, his sovereignness. You'll take lightly his authority over you. And so you'll be fine with Jesus is closer than brother. You'll be fine with singing the happy, happy songs about Jesus and the fun of being a Christian, how I'm washed white and clean and I'm better than some people. You'll be fine with all those things. But when it comes to any Christian brother or sister having to bring discipline to you and having to come to you and say you're wrong, you'll buck it every time because you've gotten a habit of just using your mouth to fend off any accountability. And quite honestly, people will have a secret disdain for you. You'll always have that little bit of tension you feel like where people just have a little bit of issue with you somehow. It's something that resonates in the spirit. You just can't help it. You get around somebody who has disrespect for their parents, and if you've been raised to have respect for your parents, you just feel this like we can never be that. We can never be totally close. I've had friends where I, that's the thing that keeps me from being like close, close friends with them because I cannot stand. I cannot take that because it, it hurts my heart, one. And it also makes me realize if they don't that are that way with their parents. You ever heard the thing, you know, watch how a husband, watch how a guy talks about his mom or talks to his mom, and that's how he'll treat you as, well, as, as a wife or, or dad, how that goes. It's the same with the Heavenly Father. You watch how someone talks to their earthly parents, and you'll know how in their heart, really, they are walking with God or not walking with God. Because they cannot, the scripture is clear, they cannot continue to sin in that way and still have a great relationship with the Heavenly Father. So no matter what they say or they put on, no matter how they act, they're dying inside. They're, they're, they're dying inside because they have a, a fissure, a, a, a cavernous fissure between them and God because God will not be okay with the way they talk to their, their parents. Look what Jesus says. Anyone who breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. In verse 19. We will see as we work through the rest of Jesus' sermon in just a few minutes. I don't know how, but I've run, run out of time. But um, we'll see as we work through the rest of the sermon. He talks about our obligation to moral law. Jesus will help correct some of the misunderstandings of the law that, that are keeping people from being free of God. Apostle James tells us, in verse James 2.10, that even if we kept every single law on the books except one, we're guilty of breaking all the laws. That's the difficulty of the law. If you hold yourself just to the law without grace, without the grace offering that Jesus has provided, then you are going to feel like a failure because you're holding yourself to a standard God never intended you to live to. But Jesus filled every aspect of the law. And, and that's the amazing thing about, about how we watch that he was sinless and yet he offered himself up as that sacrifice so that we could be right before God when it comes to the law. 
John tells us, 1 John 2, 1, My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father Jesus Christ, the righteous one. The goal is not to sin, but if we do, we can then come to Christ who advocates for, uh, to the Father for us. Verse 20, For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. And wow, you look at this, and the scribes and the Pharisees were, were meticulous in carrying out every jot and tittle of the law. They crossed every T and they dotted every I. They lived as close to the perfect, as perfect as they were possible. But how could we surpass their right behavior? I, I mean, their discipline was known to be incredible. And here's the deal, we can't. Not even the scribes and the Pharisees were as righteous as they thought they were. But he used that as an example because that's what the people saw. If they thought, who is, who is the most righteous among us? It's them. The scribes and the Pharisees missed the point of the law. It was, it was there to make us realize that we can never be good enough on our own. But they took it as it was there for them to hold over people's head that they would be everything God wanted them to be, even if they knew they couldn't make it. There's uh, A.J. Jacobs, uh, the agnostic senior editor of Esquire magazine, decided, this is some time back in 2007, he decided to spend an entire year trying to be completely obedient to every command in the Bible. He decided as a test. So in 2017, he wrote a book entitled The Year of Living Biblically. And this is what he says. One thing I learned was how much I sinned. And that was more than a little disturbing but once you start to pay attention to the amount that you lie that you gossip that you covet and even steal i was taken aback and that was the real eye-opener these are profound words from an agnostic who said i tried for a year to live biblically and all of a sudden i was made aware of how much i do those things you know it can be as simple as you know uh, clocking in at work if you clock in and then goofing around for 10 or 15 minutes thinking no big deal of it. But you've stolen time from your company. Oh, but everybody does that. And we go down the list. And it happens even as believers. We, we normalize through culture. We look at culture and we normalize thinking we're not so bad because we're not the murderer. We're not this or that. And, and, and listen, everybody is guilty of sin somewhere. But the idea is Jesus is calling us out to say, I'm not here to get rid of the law because you need to keep striving to, to, to live holy. You need to keep striving to live as, as I'm going to set the example to live. I'm not going to sin, but, and, and you're going to see that, I, I, that, that this is the example. But at the same time, don't take the grace that I'm going to offer and feel like you're no longer bound to keep striving to, to be more like me. And so we've trivialized, even with the WWJD bracelets, we've trivialized the strive for holiness. We, we don't really hear it as much in churches anymore. I don't hear the word holy in reference to us being holy or, or striving to be holy anymore. It's a, it's, or sanctification, hearing that, which is a process of turning more and more away from sin, becoming more like Christ. We're excited about people being saved. We're excited about them being baptized. We're excited about them being filled with the Holy Spirit. But then when it comes to them continuing in past sin or anything like that, we, we just say, well, you know, there's grace, and, but we need the accountability. Jesus came 
not to abolish the law because he came to establish what accountability looks like. Accountability in Jesus' realm and how he lived it out was, yeah, brother, I'm going to hold you accountable, but I also have grace and compassion and mercy. When you fail, I don't give up on you. I don't quit you. I don't condemn you. But I'm not going to turn a blind eye to your sin. I'm not going to turn a blind eye to when you're willingly continuing in something that's against God. If you have somebody that you know that they, they just pick one, that, that it's gossip. And they just continue to gossip and continue to gossip. It's like we were talking, Isaac. We need some bold believers to say, hey, I love you and I love you enough. I don't want to see you continue to sin against the Lord and others. We need to stop that. Most of us be afraid to do it, wouldn't we? There'd be some reservation. Like this person's going to... Because you know how uncomfortable is that in a situation? Especially when somebody's wound up and they're going. Right? Your first reaction, what? I'm just being real. We've got to close. But I just first reaction is real. Is be like, oh, well. And smile and just kind of like try to get out of it. Because we want to be exonerated, right? We want to get... But that's not what God's calling us to do. Is just for us to get out of the situation. But to be ones who change the world by... Way, the way we live. And it's not about holding, going out to the unbeliever and saying, oh, you're gossiping, oh, you're lying, you're stealing, because they don't have a relationship with Christ. It's a different thing we're talking about. But for the believers to say, look, I, I love you, Ken, but you, you've got to stop this for your own good because it's going to take you down the wrong path. We've got to start having those hard conversations because the truth is that we are our righteous sinners. Not by our own righteousness, but we are sinners saved by grace. It's the righteousness of God that covers us. And why would we want to tarnish that righteousness by continuing things that don't reflect Christ? And so when we continue this series, that's what we're going to be looking at. What was Jesus telling us? What, when he came and, and he said these things, I didn't come to abolish the law but to fulfill it. What was he really saying to me? He's saying, I want you to see that how you live according to God's law is going to be exemplified before you in my walk. And my words will be written down for all of eternity. And you will be able to reference back to my word and say, this is how I'm to live. And so when he says things like, you've heard it said, don't murder. I tell you, don't even get angry, right? Don't, don't even be a person who gets angry. He's not saying you won't ever get angry. He's just saying... That's the goal. That's the purpose in your heart. I, I'm not, I'm not going to exonerate myself and just say, hey, I don't think I'll ever murder, so I just don't. That commandment doesn't really fit me. If we were honest today and had you raise your hands, if I ask you, how many do you think that you're in danger of breaking that commandment of murder? I guarantee you nobody would raise their hand. I don't think so myself. Because we have this certain amount of pride that no matter how hard we try, we don't get rid of. And we think that certain laws, we just never break God's laws. But the prisons are full of people who are Christians who through some wrong choices ended up maybe in a wrong relationship, maybe cheating on their spouse or whatever happened and a slow process of things happening before they knew it, rage or things that were allowed. The anger was allowed. Even though Jesus said, this is how you keep from <laughs> breaking my commandments. It's not like the, how they used to do where they built all these laws around the law to not break that law because that's still with the heart of just, I'm trying just not to break the laws. Jesus is saying, I want you to let me work on your inside so that you don't become the kind of person who would break my laws. It's not that you're perfect or that you can just do it on your own power. I'm saying, let me change you so that the person you become is someone who, little by little, more and more, it's just not something you do. 
So, yes, can we be confident saying I'm probably not somebody who'd murder? Yes, but it requires continuing to walk with the Lord. Let him change you over and over and over. And the day when we take as serious all the little sins that we see them as little as murder, God, I have a tendency to lie, or God, I have a tendency to do things that is lack of integrity. I'm just going to call it theft, you know, from my boss or whatever it is, time on the clock, whatever it is. And I'm going to take that seriously. I want to be the kind of person who doesn't even do that. So help me. And that's what we'll pray this morning. Dear Heavenly Father, I ask, Lord, as, as it's easy for us to, to look at something like this as so elementary, uh, if we've been, most of us here have lived the Christian uh, life, have walked as a, a believer long enough that we run the risk of, not that we think we take it lightly, your commandments, but just that we've got under control. And that pride is so dangerous, Lord. We're also not allowing the enemy to bring condemnation where we just always feel like we got to watch out or we're going to we're going to break one of your laws, but it's it's the heart in which we approach you, Lord, that our desire is to exemplify you to to be changed and and continue to be changed to be more and more like you. And we thank you, Jesus, that you set the example that we don't have to we have your word we have your life to be able to see through the word of God and to be able to pattern our lives after Lord not just in in repetition or in in copying Lord but to allow your spirit just as was happening in the worship time today and last week and each week God that you're changing us and I pray Lord that we would remember the importance of your law as well as your grace never forget that that law today still applies to our lives it's by your grace that we have you to help us fulfill to live that and we just thank you for it in jesus name amen